You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. One of our senior adults, Jean Harris, recently lost her husband, Clyde. For those of you that may be visiting today or listening by way of the website, Clyde was one of those individuals in our church that when he left us to go to heaven, he left an enormous void in our lives. Um, it's been unbelievable. You know, we, 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 we think about Clyde and we think about the impact of his life. And, and I, I have to be honest with you that uh, I have felt, uh, I, you know, today's Father's Day and I know people are out and people are traveling and you see empty seats and you think, boy, this is empty. But no place is more empty than the place that Clyde Harris occupied. Friday, Sheila and I went to visit Jean, and Jean has not been feeling good. Jean is at the ER right now at CMMC, sick. And uh, a lot of it is just the stress of losing her husband. And, uh, you know, when we come to Father's Day, she even looked at me and Sheila and I Friday. She said, I just don't think I can come Sunday uh, with it being Father's Day. Just the pain that she feels. And uh, I I couldn't help but smile because so many times Jean and Clyde, I've known them now for 16 and a half years, she had always, Clyde would be pulling a bunch of mess, doing a lot of silly stuff, and she would say, now daddy... Now, Daddy, you know, and then she would kind of admonish him a little bit, slap his wrist, but she just, they just had a special relationship. But Jean is at the ER right now. We want to pray for her because, and you may feel like that. You know, you may be struggling today. This is Father's Day, and and, uh, it may be a difficult day for you. So let's just take a moment and go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you love us, Lord, we lift up Jean to you right now. We pray that you wrap your arms around her and encourage her. We pray, dear Lord, that she feels the power of your Holy Spirit in her life. That, Lord, that she would understand one glimpse of heaven and all of the sorrow that she feels would be erased by an enormous amount of joy because Clyde is with you now. And, Lord, I pray, dear Lord, for these in the room that may be without a dad today, that, Father, you'd wrap your arms around them and encourage them. We pray, dear Lord, most of all, because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that when you told us to pray, we could lift our heads toward the heavens and we could say, Abba, Father, which means Daddy. And so, Lord, we praise you and we thank you for that. And we pray right now, dear Lord, that you will just uh, empower your your word, your holy scripture, And that, Lord, it would speak to our hearts, uh, give us wisdom to understand what you want to say to us today. And we pray this in the sweet, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. And I'm going to be honest with you today. I have um, felt uh, led by the Lord to kind of move in a different direction. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, but today... I kind of feel like I need to go a a different route. And so I pray that you'll pray with me. So take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse 14. Years ago, one of the famous 
or one of the more, more well-known card companies, went into uh, uh, one of our major prisons in America, or in several prisons perhaps, and they set up a display where prisoners could come and get a card, uh, a Mother's Day card that they could send to their mother. Uh, it was a tremendous success. Uh, these, these prisoners, these inmates came, they got a card, they filled them out, sent them to their moms, and, and, and it was so successful that the card company decided, well, we're going, to, we're going to do that again on Father's Day. They set up these displays in the prisons with Father's Day cards to be sent to dads. Do you know how many prisoners came to get a card? That many, not one, not one prisoner. Not one prisoner picked up a Father's Day card to send to, to, send to the dad, and it, it said a great deal. Today I want to speak to you, and I want to, I want to take a moment, and we're going to look at uh, what I say, or what I call a distraught dad. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to pick up there, Mark chapter 9, beginning at verse 14. It said, when they came to the other side, the disciples, when they, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet Jesus. What are you arguing about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech and wherever he seizes him, it throws him to the ground. It, he foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I, I ask your disciples to drive out the Spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, he rolled around, he began foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From, from childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I, I, I do believe, help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this can come only by prayer. 
If you look at all three Gospels, if you look, look at Luke chapter 9, where Luke is writing to Theophilus, if you look at Mark, who is uh, this young student of, of the Apostle Peter, or you look at Matthew, this converted tax collector disciple, in every single Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, you find this story here of this father. And, and uh, you see this dad as he's coming. Now, it has been the Mount of Transfiguration. They've been up on the mountain. It's been, a, it's been a glorious time on top of the mountain. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus have been on top of this mountain. They have had a divine appointment. God has basically been meeting. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, has been meeting with Elijah and with Moses, and they've been in this divine tribunal. In fact, it's so unbelievable that Peter and James and John say, Lord, let's build some tabernacles. In other words, Lord, let's just stay here on top of this mountain. Let's don't go back down. And in every single gospel, unlike chronologically, when sometimes stories out of the life of Christ will be kind of moved around a little bit, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find the transfiguration, and then following that, this story about this dad. They're all coming down from a mountain. And that's you and I. You see, because in reality, sometimes we want to stay on a mountain. I don't blame James and John and Peter. I'd love to stay on top of the mountain, but it, they have to come down. And too many churches sometimes will stay on mountains. We need to come down, don't we? Well, anyway, here we have a distraught dad. And I want you to see this. We have a, we have a dad who is, who is troubled. Now, I want you to bear with me because at the last minute, God said, I want you to change this message. And so I began to just hurriedly begin to work and try to put it together. So you help me today by listening very attentively. Okay, amen? That means so be it. First of all, there's three points here. Number one, we have a distraught dad. We have disabled disabled disciples, and we have a divine directive. We have a dad here, and you can see it. He is distraught, he is troubled, he's torn. Why? Because he has an enemy. His enemy is the devil. He has a demonic presence. There is a spiritual battle going on in his own family. John MacArthur said this, he said that he believed that when Jesus, in this episode right here, that Satan sent out a call all over the world and brought an, an enormous demonic presence into this event right here because of the transfiguration. Hell has unleashed its army. And this was an example, much like the Gadarean. You remember the Gadarean when Jesus cast the demon out? He asked the name of the demon, and the demon said, We are legion, we are many. So here you have a distraught dad who is battling hell, he's battling the enemy for the soul or the life of his own son. And you may be there today. You may be right now battling the enemy in your own family for a child or for somebody that you love. And they're in the grips of your enemy, the devil, Diabolos, Satan. And in this crowd, Mark tells us they're scribes, religious people. 
These are professional, religious hirelings that have kind of nestled out into the crowd and they're there to catch Jesus or to discredit him or to indict him or ultimately to kill him. And they've also gathered there. They're people, these are religious people. They're about money and position and prestige and popularity. They're about being well-known, and that's what they're there for. And so the scribes are there, and they've been arguing with the disciples over the legitimacy of Christ's ministry and over Levitical law. They've been, listen, the scribes are excited because they've watched nine of the disciples fail. And because they have failed, they've kind of gotten stirred up a little bit. They're on a killing frenzy now. They've embarrassed the disciples because they were unable to deliver this boy. But here we have this distraught dad. This dad is, his dad is unnamed. He's just one dad in the ER of University Hospital. He's just a dad sitting in ER with his little boy next to him and waiting to see the doctor. But the doctor here is Jesus. And the difference here is, is that this dad is there with his son in the midst of an enormous crowd. And there's going to come a moment when this dad is going to shout. He's going to cry out to Jesus in desperation. He's going to say, Jesus, I need your help. I need you to see my son. Let me ask you something. Have you shouted over anyone lately that you're concerned about? Has there been a time here lately when you've been praying over a child or a grandchild or a husband or a wife or somebody in your family or some situation or some some crisis that's going on or the fact that maybe the enemy in your life is wreaking havoc in your life? Have you shouted lately? You know what I mean. Years ago, Sheila and I, when one of our kids was sick, I... I actually had that, I had one of my kids in my arms. I went into the doctor's office, literally frantic, walked in, the receptionist said, could I help you? I walked right past the receptionist, began to go down from one examination room to the next, looking in door after door, till finally a doctor was in there with another child and a mother in an examination room, and I opened up that door and it was a friend of mine, a a pediatric doctor, he looked at me and said, my goodness, what's wrong? I said, I think my son's dying. Have you shouted lately? Let me tell you something. Sometimes God will put you in a situation where you have to shout. He'll make you so desperate that you'll just set aside, you'll set aside what it looks like, how it appears to others, and you'll just cry out and say, God, I need you to intervene. Matthew tells us in his account in Matthew chapter 17 that this father had been working his way through a crowd trying to get to Jesus. He's, cl- he's in the midst of a running. Mark 9, 15 says the crowd was running. They were clamoring. They were amazed at Jesus. Matthew says that this man was working his way through the crowd and when he gets close enough, this, Matthew says that he collapses on, in, in the presence of Jesus. Can you imagine that scene here? As this man just drops to his knees and begins to plead on behalf of his son. He's shouting, Jesus! 
ledge. Last Sunday, we were on our way home, and Ethan was sitting in the back seat, my grandson, and he said, Papa, tell me a story. And Ledge turned and looked at me and he said, Dad, he said, you're going to have to give us a break. He said, these Megatron stories are getting too much. You see, Megatron is the bad guy in the, and Optimus Prime and Bumblebee are the good guys. And so I'm always making up little stories and telling my little grandson because he likes them, Transformers stories. And yet uh, Ledge was saying, Dad, we're trying to teach him what's real and what's make-believe. We need to be talking to him about Jesus. And my friend, it was, a, it was a friendly, godly slap on the hand of a grandparent that says, Dad, I need you to help me here. So I, I thought, well, I'm going to do things a little different. Ledge didn't know it, but I told him the story of Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, and how Bartimaeus was in a crowd, and how Bartimaeus, and I looked at Ethan at one point, and his eyes were this big, and he said, what happened next? And I said, well, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus just stood up and he shouted and he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. You see, this dad was shouting. He wasn't concerned about anything else. Has there come some time in your life that God has collapsed you, caused you to fall to your knees in desperation and say, God, forget all the frivolous details of my life. God, I need you to intervene right now. Matthew says in his account that this man called him Lord. In fact, Mark and Luke do not mention this. That he calls him Lord in the sense of meaning when he was saying, Jesus, you have the power and you have the power over demons. Let me tell you about demons. I don't care what Hollywood says, Hollywood is wrong. If you get your biblical view of demons by watching The Exorcist or some of these shows, then my friend, you don't have a biblical view. You don't have to be scared of the enemy. The Bible says resist the devil and he'll what? Flee from you. And you resist him by way of the Holy Spirit and by way of the Word of God. In fact, let me tell you about demons. If you look at the Scripture, demons love to lay low. Demons will never draw attention to themselves. They love to do their work, and they love to do it very quietly, subtly, manipulating and working. They love to do what they do. They love to, they love to keep a low profile. But listen, anytime Jesus was around demons, demons all of a sudden would raise up, and they would all of a sudden become very animated and very real. And that's the case here. Every time you find demons, you remember the Gadarean when, he, when Jesus, when he came through the storm and he and the disciples and he came in and the Bible said he stepped out to the shore and this man who was possessed by demons came running to him and he said, Jesus, what dost thou have to do with us? Talking, the demons were talking. But this man calls him in Matthew calls him Lord. He calls Jesus Lord. And he says, Lord, I know that you have the power. And in Matthew chapter 17, this father begins to open up. He says, he says Lord, my son is a lunatic. He's crazy. He's mad. He's just, he literally is just breaking my heart. In fact, when you look at Matthew chapter 17, and even here, you get the idea that this father's son was a 24-hour-a-day responsibility from childhood, and now this son is a teenager, and he's still a major part of responsibility to the father. In fact, the father says it. He says the demons would overpower him and slam him into the fire. They would throw him into wells, into places of water. Mark 9, it says they had made him deaf and dumb. He, he, what the father was saying, Lord, he's saying, I'm, I'm helpless. 
This dad understood. Dad, understand this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, against wickedness in high places. You're in a spiritual war. Listen, you want to scare the enemy, Dad? You want to scare the enemy? You take this position right here by the sleeping bedside of that little nursery, in that nursery, by that crib, or by that little toddler, or by that little elementary age. You want to, you want to scare a dad? You want to scare a demon? Listen, you, you let a dad be outside a teenager's door after they've closed that door because they're saying, Dad, leave me alone. And you fall on your knees outside that door and you begin to pray. Dad, have you shouted? Have you cried out lately? This father knew in verse 39 of Luke's account, he understood this is a demonic presence. This is a, this, uh, possessed with a demonic presence. He realized that his son had a, had a problem here. You know, we may be the most educated nation in the world, but people are still reading horoscopes, following astrology, and talking about the Big Bang Theory. Don't sound too educated to me, does it? Or to you? This is the enemy. If you're here today and you have a young son or a young daughter, if you have children, understand this. If you have grandchildren, understand this. The enemy will put a crosshair on the life of your son, your daughter. This is the enemy. He goes after the helpless. And this father was a, in a sad state of affairs. He had lived his life taking care of his son, watching over him, and didn't matter what he did, he was always... 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You've got an enemy, Dad. Years ago, Steve Taylor, one of our missionaries, introduced or uh, had an opportunity to kind of introduce somebody to uh, introduce uh, some missionaries to a rancher. Steve Taylor said, let me tell you about that rancher. He said that rancher one day was, he and his son, this is in Zimbabwe, Africa, were taking a boat and they were dropping it into the Zambezi River as they were bringing that boat into, well, no, it was when they were loading the boat back up. He said they'd been out fishing, a father and his 16-year-old son, they'd been out fishing, and when they came back, the father went up to get the truck, pulled the boat, the trailer back down there to pull the boat back up onto the trailer, he told his son, he said, uh, they, they, they began to pull it up, and he told his son to go back and lock the engine up. He said, son, it feels like, you know, go back there and lock the engine up, the engine's down. So the boy climbed across the, back, the bed of the truck, climbed across the end of the boat, and got into the back of the boat, came to the back of the boat, and when he reached down, this rancher said this, he said, when his son reached down to unlock, to flip that motor, that outboard motor up, he said, all of a sudden he heard his son scream, and he was gone. He said, a croc, croc had come up and grabbed his son right here and pulled him down in the water. He said he never saw his son again. Every parent listened to me closely. Every parent who listened by website. That's exactly what the enemy will do to your children. Your enemy doesn't show any mercy because they're babies or toddlers. Your enemy doesn't show any mercy because they're elementary age. You have an enemy. And that enemy, John 10.10, 10, that Jesus Christ said he comes to kill, he comes to steal, he comes to destroy. You have an enemy. And for whatever reason, this enemy had wreaked havoc in the life of this dad. He's a distraught dad. And when he finally comes to the Lord, he says, Lord, I need you. 
uh, I need you to pay attention to my son. He uses a word here in the Greek, epiblepo. Epiblepo. It's the, it's the picture of special attention. What he was saying is just like me walking into a doctor's office and saying, forget this kid you're looking at right now. I need you to pay special attention to mine. So this father cries out and he says, Lord, in Matthew, he said, Lord, I believe. He had faith in the person. He had faith in the teaching of Christ. He says, Lord, pay special attention because in the Scripture says this, each one of them bring this out. He's the only son. Well, no, Luke brings this out. Luke says he's the only son, that this father is holding his son or somehow he's bringing his son before the Lord. He's collapsed now on his knees and he says, Lord, he's crying out, he's shouting and he's saying, Lord, pay special attention. I know that there's a crowd of people here and I know there's other needs, but Lord, pay special attention to my son. He's my only son. He's my only child. He's my hope. He's my legacy. He's my name. He's everything. He's bringing his only begotten son to the only begotten son of God. In verse 13, it talks about a fallen angel in one of the, I can't even remember which one it was, but in, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in each one of those episodes, basically this demon is a fallen angel who suddenly comes on the boy. The Bible says the father explains it this way in Mark chapter 9. It says that he screams, he, it seizes him, and when it seizes him, it smashes him to the ground. In the Greek, it is such a strong word here, regnumi. It's the, it's the idea here of a violent mauling, crushing, breaking into pieces. It, it, it's the father saying this demon is unmerciful in what he's doing to my child and what he's doing to my family. And he goes on to make this statement. He says it scarcely leaves him. Never gives him a break. Never gives any of us a break. And he makes this statement. He said, I begged your disciples. I begged your disciples to heal him, but they couldn't do it. I want you to look at Luke chapter 9. Because in Luke chapter 9, you, you need to see this. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, watch this. Because in Luke's account, he, he brings something out that is critical here. When the father says, I brought, them, I brought my son to your disciples, and they couldn't do anything. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them what? He gave them power and authority to do what? To drive out demons, to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Mark tells us, I think in Mark 6 verse 13, Mark said that they were successful. But in this incident, in this moment, that they're not successful at all. They have the power. Look at it again in 9-1. When Jesus had called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority to drive out how many demons? How many demons? How many demons? Say it again. But this is not the case here. This demon was an exception. What's the problem here? 
You see, the problem here doesn't have anything to do with this father. It doesn't have anything to do with this son. It doesn't have anything to do with the crowd that is gathered here. He has pulled his disciples, those nine blockheads. He said, guys, come here because the problem here is not with the demon. The problem is with your faith. And that's what he's going to say in a moment. He gave them power to handle any situation they would come in contact with. But in this particular situation, they failed. So we not only see a distraught dad, we see disabled disciples. How many times do people come to the church? I can tell you this much, folks. This health and wealth theology that is literally promoted all over this community of name it, claim it kind of junk will not get you through the difficulties when suffering comes to your life. These were disabled disciples. They came to the church, but the church gave them no help. In Matthew 17, 19 and 20, if you look at that conversation there, they begin to ask Jesus, why could we not do it? In fact, take a left and go over there. In Matthew chapter 17, look for yourself. Matthew 17, 19 and 20. They later come to Jesus. Isn't this great? They come to Jesus in verse 19. I think that's right. In verse 19 of chapter 17 of Matthew, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, Lord, why couldn't we drive it out? Look at verse 20. He replied, because you have what? What? Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You see, what he was saying was he was, sending, he was sending a message. He was teaching these apostles who had failed miserably. He was saying, men, it's not the power of the demon. It is the lack of power in your faith. How many times do you and I fail because we lack faith? What he was saying to these disciples from Luke 9, 1 over to the end of Luke, what he's saying to these disciples is this, you have the power, where you failed you didn't have the faith. And faith is power. I love Jesus. You know what I love about Jesus? It was how Jesus would handle demons, the devil. You know how he usually handled them? Shut it up. You remember, in fact, he uses the same terminology. You remember in the storm when the disciples were all afraid and upset and they begin to, and they begin to be, you know, really uh, afraid and they went running and, and Jesus had fallen asleep and they went and woke Jesus up and they got mad and said, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to perish? And Jesus gets up, he walks up to the front of the boat and he looks out and, he, and you know what he says to, you know what he says to the storm? Shut it up. He speaks to the storm exactly the way he speaks to demons. Shut it up, not another word. Don't you love that? Don't you love that as a parent when you have that kind of power? Shut it up. Hey, you better have it while they're small because if you don't, they'll make you life hell on earth when they get older. Shut it up. I don't hear another word. Boy, when my dad said that, shut it up, I don't want to hear not another word. That was it. 
And that's the way Jesus spoke to demons. And so Jesus admonishes these disciples publicly because they failed publicly. In fact, in one account, I think it's in Luke, he calls them a perverted, and meaning twisted or distorted. In other words, what he was saying is, listen, you have failed to have faith because your image of God is all twisted and distorted, and we've got to get that straight. Wow. He basically says of the whole generation, the contemporary generation in the Greek, he uses the idea, he says, all of you lack faith. Oh, ye of little faith. Just believe me, is what he's saying. Is he putting you in a situation that is requiring more faith than you have right now? Good. So Jesus then looks and he says these words, and I love these words. He says, bring your son here. Jesus now takes over. There's complete chaos that nine disciples have been now. They've been embarrassed publicly. The scribes, they're on a feeding frenzy. The crowd is confused. This father is sitting there, collapsed on his knees, as Matthew 17 says. He's holding his son. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to the father, bring him here, bring him here to me. You see, I can tell you this much. You know what some of us do? We go to everybody but Jesus. We go to everybody but Jesus. One day the kids were talking and said, do you remember that time on the mission field in Zimbabwe when Amy got choked on a, on a chicken bone? you remember that time? Yeah, I remember that time. I remember it well because I was shoving my hand down her throat getting that bone out. Do you remember that time? Let me, let me say this. There were a lot of times on the mission field you couldn't, you couldn't call an ambulance. You couldn't rush to the hospital. All you could do was pray. You could take what action you could, and then you just prayed. My friend, could God be putting you and I in a situation to where all we can do is pray and trust God? This, 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 Jesus says, bring him here to me. Bring him here. And, and, and maybe you need to do that. And so finally we have here a divine directive. One writer made this statement. He is teaching the apostles if they believe And, but if they, he goes on to say, he is teaching the apostles if they believe or if they have faith. But if they don't, then God will not answer their prayers because if he answered their lack of faith, he would, listen to this, he would reinforce their doubt. Hear me, stay with me here. This is critical and we'll close in a moment. Sometimes we pray and we ask God to intervene and, and sometimes God doesn't do it maybe as quickly as we want. And sometimes we give up. Men ought always to pray, Luke 18, 1, and never give up. But sometimes we give up. We grow tired. We quit, we quit asking God. Or we begin to struggle. Our faith is struggling. Maybe we don't have enough faith. Maybe God is waiting for that measure of faith to increase. So the, the faith is not there. We don't believe God. We don't trust God. We're not trusting God. We're not waiting on God. I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody. God is waiting on us to learn the lesson of faith. Now, if God answered your prayer or my prayer with when we had little faith or we were filled with all kinds of doubt, listen, he would be reinforcing our doubt. 
God is trying to help you and I understand. He was trying to help these disciples to understand that it is only by faith. Jesus is so casual here. He's so quiet. Bring the sum to me. I love it. He looks at the Father and says, how long has he been like this? Because when the, when the Father brings the Son, as he's coming to Jesus, all of a sudden the demon takes the Son, and in the Greek it says he slams him, he body slams him to the ground, and, he, and this Son goes into this convulsion, he goes into this seizure, he's, seizure, he's completely out of control, and, and, and here Jesus is, says, how long has he been like this? Bring him here to me, how long has he been like this? And then he heals him. Sometimes you and I, in all honesty, and believe you me, this morning, there were a lot of other messages. I, I was prepared to preach a different message. God told me to go another route. Why, I don't know. I may not be as prepared as I ought to be because God chooses to change the direction, but I can tell you this much. The need in all of our lives is to take our problems and to bring them to Christ. And when we bring them to Christ, to believe and to have faith and to trust that He can take care of whatever we bring to Him. Did you hear that? In other words, whatever problem we have, it may be a spouse, it may be a child, it may be a loved one, it may be somebody. The enemy may right now be making havoc of your life, of your health, of your relationship with your children and your marriage. It may be because, see, you have an enemy out there. And he's going to do anything that he can to discourage you and to, and to, to disqualify you. The enemy's going to be working in every way possible to affect your life. If he can't steal your salvation, which he can't do, he'll keep you from being saved. My friend, he'll steal the joy of your salvation. You and I have an enemy. And the only thing that will battle, that we can battle against that enemy is with the Word of God in faith, believing and trusting God. You and I are just simply like the Father coming to God and saying, God, here it is. You may do it a thousand times. God, here it is. You may say, God, I've been here, I've been here a hundred times with this son, with this daughter. Here they are again. God, here I am again, God, with my job situation. Here it is. Here I am with my education. God, here I am with my future. And you repeatedly just keep coming and coming and coming to God and believing and trusting and knowing in your heart that one day God will say, okay. Do you know Him? I'm going to ask you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you are right now. To be honest with you, you may be in a place right now where you have... Your life is consumed with something that is just taking every bit of energy, every bit of your time. You may feel like that father today. You've got a problem or an issue in your life right now that is so consuming that it's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you're just absolutely wore out. And you may, you may think to yourself, you know, God, why come one more time? Why bring this to you? 
you haven't answered yet. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, could I, could I share something with you? God always answers prayer. Did you hear that? God always answers prayer. And whatever prayer you have right now, God's ready to answer it. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray right now, dear Lord, even as we're here before you, dear Lord, there may be some here that, in all honesty, Lord, they're not saved. And dear Lord Jesus, they need to reach out in childlike faith and they need to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Father, there may be others here today that, dear Lord, they are, they're tired. They've been, they, they've been worn out by a problem. Maybe a problem child. Maybe a problem marriage. Maybe a problem at their workplace and their job. Maybe at school. Maybe something that, dear Lord, they're, ju- they're just wore out. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They're like this, Father, they're just collapsing. And they're just saying, Lord, I'm just so tired. Lord, I'm tired. And Lord, we just pray, dear Lord, that you wrap your arms around them. That you whisper in their ear right now, bring that problem to me. Bring it here. Leave it here at this altar. Some of us, dear Lord, we leave a problem at the altar and then we pick it up again. This father, I believe, was willing to just lay his son at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I can't can't carry this anymore. There may be a problem in this room, dear Lord, that somebody says, I can't carry this anymore. They just need to lay it at your feet. They don't need to pick it up again. Father, there's an enemy out there and he wreaks havoc in our lives. So Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that the enemy would be bound today. That, dear Lord, you'd give men and women the strength to resist the enemy by the word of God and by prayer. And Lord, would you do something today that only you can do and we'll give you the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.